Well, the virus has now killed more than 100 people in China, and new cases have been confirmed around the world. So you don't want to frighten the American public. France and South Korea have also got evacuation plans. But you need to prepare for and assume. Strongly warning Americans to avoid all non-essential travel to China. That this is going to be a real serious problem. France, Australia, Canada, the US, Singapore, Cambodia, Vietnam, the list goes on. Health officials are investigating more than 100 possible cases in the US. Germany, a man has uh, contracted the virus. The epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide. Japan, where a bus driver uh, contracted the virus. Coronavirus has killed more than 100 people there and infected more than 4,500. We have to prepare for the worst, always, because if you don't and the worst happens. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Now I am become death, destroyer of worlds, the words of Jay Oppenheimer after the first nuclear test 75 years ago today, July the 16th, 1945, when at 5.29 a.m., Jordana del Muerto in New Mexico at the U.S. Air Force Alamogordo bombing and gunnery range. It's where it all started. Vish? The uh, actual quote is from the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, the quote is uh, stated by Lord Krishna, which is uh, the avatar of Lord Vishnu. Krishna is the mortal form. And Krishna says this uh, line when he takes on his multi-armed form and is imploring the Prince Arjuna during a civil war over the birthright of a, of, of the, uh, of a kingdom there. He's imploring uh, Arjuna to basically do his duty and to go and fight the war and if he has to kill some of his relatives and his friends in order to succeed and deliver the kingdom then he must do that and that basically that's what krishna that that's the line krishna it, says it, to arjuna as he takes on his his godly form episode 284 war room pandemic here on america's voice.news newsmax tv g news and gtv Blowing this through the CCP's firewall, subtitled in Mandarin, and of course with all of our uh, sponsors and partners out there as well. Stephen K. Bannon joins us down the line. Steve. Yeah, I mean that—that's—it's reason that's so powerful and to tie it back to Oppenheimer's quote. Oppenheimer understood that whole segment of the Gita is about Dharma. It's about doing your duty. Right, and you see the Dharma. I think of this uh, of this generation. Dr. Bradley Thayer just talked about it in the last that we've allowed an entire generation to have one of the most vicious dictatorships in world history now become a global power, and they're a global power. All this thing talking about their regional power, they're a global power. They're, they've announced a uh, a secret 25-year uh, deal, 400 billion dollars with Iran, with their junior partners in Persia right to, to control the other side of the eurasian landmass they've got the uae and saudi arabia are two great allies and i put that in quotes two guys we've been propping up forever uh providing them protection and arms uh they, they both vote uh with uh with china on uh, on the hong kong security bill i think it was the 53 nations are good are great allies uae and uh and uh, the saudis are voting with them and so you've seen for an entire generation you had this hack 
Richard Haas that's on the uh, the the the, uh, the Kingdom of Hacks, which is Morning Joe. If you ever want to see the conventional wisdom, if you ever want to see what the United States should do the opposite of, just listen to Morning Joe every morning, particularly when they get the national security hacks on there of Admiral Stavridis and David Ignatius and, and Richard Haas and the rest of these clowns they roll out there that have led the managed decline of the United States. It's a generational, uh, really, dharma to be able to con confront the Chinese Communist Party and assist the Chinese people in their freedom. I know we've got some stuff we want to talk about, Xi, and also the floods that are going on, a, a, a humanitarian catastrophe is about to hit the Chinese people, I believe. You know, Jack Maxey was saying back in late January, early February, Jack, you were warning about the coming potential famine that could happen into the third world and some of these developing nations because of the pandemic. I think you're the first voice out there that was saying, hey, the issues on this pandemic are global in nature. We really got to start thinking about some of these developing nations, particularly nations that are just on the margin right now from having these kind of uh, mass diseases, uh, mass infections and, 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 and famine and having water problems and all these other societal problems that they're going to be the ones that are going to be most impacted. Now we're seeing in China the combination of the coronavirus or the CCP virus coupled with this historic flooding that's going up uh, around the Three Gorges Dam. People are talking about, you know, and I, I'm not saying they're intelligence reports, but people that are on top of these matters are actually saying there could be 100 million people either die in these floods and or die in the famine afterwards. So where does let's take it? Where does President Xi stand right now, Raheem and Jack, as far as uh, as far as his uh, his support in China and what's the status of these uh, of these floods? Are now another event that's coming in this kind of historic time. We have an historic uh, flood event taking place in the interior of China. Well, Steve, one of the things that's a real big issue with this is that it's downstream from the Three Gorges Dam, it's actually reduced a little bit in, since Monday was the high. But when I say it's been reduced, it's been reduced marginally because they have excessive rain coming up into the drainage of the Yangtze River above the Three Gorges Dam. They've been very unclear about how they are releasing water from the Three Gorges Dam down. Uh, doing it in the middle of the night, causing chaos in cities downstream. But one of the really big important things that people should understand is they've already admitted to over almost 2 million hectares, that would be about 4 million acres of land, has been put at risk because of this. And I'm talking about agricultural land. So this is going to have a big impact on China's ability to feed itself. Also, we remember you've spoken about it at, at great length, the African swine flu that is infecting uh, the Chinese pig population, which has seen them be forced to eradicate about half of their population in the last uh, 10 months or so. Well, the other thing that has happened with this flooding is that all these uh, pigs that may have been infected or areas that they had under quarantine, because it takes sometimes as many as six months to eliminate this virus from inside these commercial pig operations, they're now claiming, and they're even talking about it in the Chinese press, that the uh, African swine flu may have become out of control again, no matter what happens, because the uh, the flooding has spread this virus back out into the into the agricultural community. But they are looking at a real crisis. In fact, state television is imploring people who live along the flood uh, plains of the Yangtze River to return to their homes to help work on the levees. And so you have multiple examples inside the Chinese press of interviews with people who are 
I followed my patriotic duty. I came back to my house to work on the levees. But I have to tell you, it really does not look like they're going to be able to stay ahead of it. The largest lake in China, which is south of the Three Gorges Dam, if you look on a map, it's kind of southeast of Wuhan. This lake has already exceeded its uh, berm, and they've put three levels of sandbags around it as of last night. It has broken in several sections, and as I say, we are really looking at a potential human catastrophe inside China. One other very interesting thing is if you've been following the Chinese media, they have been talking about the Three Gorges Dam in a less than uh, optimistic way. They've been saying things like the Three Gorges Dam has done everything that it possibly can. And as Rahim pointed out a, a week or two ago, they've changed the way they describe the Three Gorges Dam in the last 10 years. Used to be a thousand year dam and now it's a hundred year dam and they're claiming that this is well above a hundred year year uh, flood so there's some question marks about whether or not they're even preparing the chinese people themselves for a potential failure and uh we need to stay on top of this and keep a watch on it also for the american audience and we've been talking about the supply chains this is key 80 to 90 percent of the pharmaceutical industry and chemical industry of china which supports that pharma industry are located along the Yangtze River, south of the Three Gorges Dam. We are already have exceeded the flood levels of 1998, which pretty much destroyed the city of Wuhan. It's been rebuilt since then. But so far, the uh, berms that they have created around Wuhan have seemed to hold, but they are really, really at the top level. China is, I would say, and I think this is not uh, unfair to say, that China may have longer-term economic problems from this flooding in their main industrial corridor than they may have in the long term from the virus, because if they, it gets much worse, it's going to be devastating going forward. Rahim? I want to throw so that back to Steve. The There's a lot there. The noise and tomorrow, tomorrow's... Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the signal from the noise and tomorrow's news today. This flood, we've been tracking it for a while, but this is now a geopolitical issue. We had Rosemary Gibson on here at the beginning of the show back six months ago talking about these supply chains, not just the industrial supply chains, the medical supply chains, PPE, everything made, but particularly APIs, the active pharmaceutical ingredients and generic drugs. Jack Maxey just lays out, there could be 80% of the capacity that that's in, that's in the floodplain of this potential catastrophe. This shows you how this happened and how we allowed the corporations to do this. And quite frankly, we still haven't had the Buy American EO from the White House. We still haven't, and we, you know, we people are coming back to us and say, hey, make sure we remind the audience. I want to make sure we do that in the next segment, guys. Exactly what they have to do to support Rosemary Gibson and the terrific people that are working day in and day out to bring the supply chains back here. Here's where your own life, your own livelihood in the United States is gonna be jeopardized by a major event that's happening in central China. That's how inextricably linked China is with the, uh, with, with the United States and with our economy. Now look, if you wanna see what the Chinese people are like in Lao Beijing and why there's so much like the deplorables, look at the patriotism. They're calling people, they've called a red alert, I think it is the first time in PLA's history, I believe they've called a red alert to, to galvanize the nation for a national security event around this flood to get everybody down there to get all the their equivalent of the Army Corps of Engineers to get on top of this. 
but they just don't have enough bodies. So what they're doing, Jack, as you said, they're calling back people. They're calling out Lao Beijing, the old hundred names, the, the basically the the working class of China. Say, hey guys, you got to come back. You can't you can't flee the flood. You've got to come into the into the, you got to walk to the fire. You got to walk to the flood here and help us on these levees. We need basically human manpower because we don't have enough machines. We can't get machinery in there. It's a tremendous patriotic thing, and you gotta you gotta. This is why. We have such a deep love and affinity for the Chinese people. They're the most decent, hardworking people on earth. They're being called back to essentially save their country. And they're doing this. They're responding to this totalitarian dictatorship that's once again screwed up everything. This thing's totally mismanaged how they've done it. One of the reasons it's mismanaged is once again, the Chinese Communist Party lied about it. They suppressed the information from the very beginning. They've also suppressed the information of letting water out of Three Gorges Dam. Raheem, as you so brilliantly picked out a couple weeks ago, it went from a thousand year dam to a hundred year dam. And if I'm living in that area, I'm not feeling very good because I know that they're they're trying to they're trying to prepare the media. They're putting out a meme that this thing may not hold. There's also all these things on on the internet about how the three gorges. Now some of them are overplayed, but I've talked to a lot of people inside of China in the last couple of weeks, and they're saying, hey, you know, that meme when they said it was a hundred year dam is some if that dam goes. There could be hundreds of millions of people that get swept away here. But in addition, this shows you the vulnerability of the United States. Look, people in the radio audience, particularly the John Frederick radio audience, come from Southside Virginia. Remember Smithfield Hams? That was bought by the Chinese Communist Party through a front company, essentially to make sure that they had pork uh, product and also could do testing. The, the 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 pork industry is essential to the Chinese diet. Before we had the pandemic, as Jack Maxey said, they lost 50% of the pig and hog population they had to put down in China. And if you've ever been to China, they yeah. don't put down a hog that can't be used for yeah. everything unless they're absolutely forced to. That's how bad this swine flu was. It was the predecessor to the pandemic. Uh, this avian flu that's come out, either from a Wuhan lab or somewhere in Ubay and Wuhan. And so you've got one of these natural catastrophes are, are one on top of the other. And this is exacerbating this. This is why I think President Xi is in a terribly weak position. Not only they have paper tiger, he so mismanaged everything from the biological Chernobyl that he had. Now he may have an aquatic or a water-based Chernobyl around the Three Rivers Dam and all the lies they've been telling Steve. Uh, and spinning to try to get the world's attention away from this. And this, once again, Steve. it shows you the world media, and particularly in the United States. CNN, MSNBC, you've never seen any coverage all right, on let's this pull, at all. Let's pull Steve down. I don't know if you can hear me. Steve, we've got to go to a break. War and pandemic returns with more. The Twitter hack, the savage crimes going on in New York, the whiteness at the Smithsonian, so much more to cover. Be right back. With Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room. Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Batter my heart, three-person God for you, as yet but knock, breathe, shine, and seek to mend, that I may rise and stand, overthrow me, and bend your force to break, blow, burn and make me new. Those are the words from the Holy Sonnet 14 by John Donne, 16th century English poet that inspired Oppenheimer's use of the word Trinity for that Trinity test that happened 75 years ago today. You're back in the war room, Greg Manns, Jack Maxey and Raheem Kassam. Over to Stephen K. Bannon.
Yeah, one of the things we've been highlighting today is the separation of time from uh, from Czechoslovakia, from really the uh, the kowtowing of the West to Adolf Hitler until the uh, the testing of the atomic weapon was only seven years, and that's a time when uh, you know you have uh, decades in which nothing happens, and then you have weeks in which decades happen. That's the time we're living in. This is a world crisis, and it's only going to get more intense. In times of crisis, people look to precious metals. Now, Birch Gold is the top group handling precious metals. They go to birchgold.com slash Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N. They have a 20-page report how you now have to start considering using precious metals in your asset portfolio along with your stocks, your bonds, your real estate. You've got to consider precious metals in turbulent times. For thousands of years, gold has been the standard of, of value and the store of value. We're going through turbulent times. Do you think it's going to get less turbulent? You are dead wrong. It's only going to get more turbulent. So go to birchgold.com slash Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N. Get your 20-page report today. Okay, guys, Jack, I know you got a few more insights on what's happening in China. And then I want to turn to, I'm getting tired of winning when it comes to technology in the world and the Chinese Communist Party. So, Jack, what do you got for, what do you got for us? about what's happening with the uh, with the flood in mainland China and the economy. One thing that I think we got to keep an eye on, you talked about the food security that, that they're going to be suffering over in China. They just announced from their National Bureau of Statistics that year over year, food inflation in China is up 11%. Now, here's the inside tip. It's gone up over 2% in the last two weeks. So what they really are suffering is higher demand than supply. And we're going to watch that supply be continually reduced as we watch the flooding impact China, particularly as they're coming up on their midsummer harvest. And uh, also, I don't mean to be like a scaremonger, but we also need to maintain a watch on the locusts because there are reports that some of them have already gotten into uh, Western China, and if that takes off, and this rainy season is perfect environment for them. Adult locusts land in the mud, they lay their eggs, and the babies are born, say, two months hence. So this is a, a, some real things that we need to pay attention to, and also I think this really, as you said, Steve, it's not just the pandemic. We risk ourselves with the supply chain here in China, even with natural disasters. Steve? You've got to go, guys. I want to make sure in the next segment we have the specifics of how people go to the White House site to support Rosemary Gibson and the group that want that executive order or whatever they did, the presidential action, 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 and get the supply chains back here. The big farmer should not control this. People around the White House should not be telling the president uh, that big farmers should be allowed to control this. We need to bring those supply chains back here on medical. We need to bring them all back, but particularly we need to lead. Uh, with medical. I also want to duly note, Raheem, before we pivot now to I'm tired of winning, talking about TikTok and Huawei, that Jack Maxey, for the audience, Jack Maxey's been trying to get that locust bit in here for about five months. And I've always been able to patrol it, so I'm a blame fish on that, that Jack Maxey could finally, finally slide his, <laughs> finally slide the other biblical play that's coming in here. But no, Jack, you're absolutely correct. It's a convergence of bad things that are happening in uh, in central China right now. We we pray every night for the Chinese people, for the decent, hardworking folks in China, and hope for one day that we can assist in the little way that we try to in, in their freedom so that they don't have to go through this nightmare continually, decade after decade and year after year. Raheem, I'm tired of winning. Talk to us about what the administration is going to do on TikTok, 
talk to us about what Huawei is. Also, they just announced, or they leaked to the New York Times, they're thinking of doing a massive travel ban against the, the, uh, anybody that's associated or a member of the Chinese Communist Party. You know, President Trump and the administration are dropping the hammers and the allies are jumping in here. So talk to us about TikTok and what else is going on in this information warfare. Yeah, Steve, and um, you know, if you could uh, if you could get your background noise level up, that would be that would be really great. We love it. We're loving the beeping here in our ears in the war room. Um, look, Steve, uh, it's it's the tide of winning, but I'll believe it when I see it. Right? There's been a lot of talk uh, about these uh, TikTok bans and so on and so forth. We've been studying it for a long time here in the war room, especially um, as it pertains to India and these 59 apps that they had banned. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we actually wrote the first major article about this on the National Pulse. On May the 22nd, TikTok is controlled by the Chinese Communist Party, delete it. And of course, a lot of people uh, have weighed into that discussion uh, along this way so far. But Mark Meadows, the chief of staff in the White House, uh, telling reporters traveling from Atlanta uh, on Air Force One yesterday that he doesn't think there's a, any self-imposed deadline for action on this. However, he said, I think we are looking at weeks, not months. He's specifically talking about the national security risk as it relates to TikTok, WeChat, and all of these other apps used by the Chinese Communist Party, whether they're sponsored by them, whether these apps are run by companies who are in hock to the Chinese Communist Party. Um, this is a major, major development as far as I'm concerned, because as we've seen in recent weeks and months, these apps, including TikTok, have been used to campaign in this presidential election in a way that can only, as far as I'm concerned, construe uh, election interference and, and at least, at the very least, uh, a major fraudulent event that we saw in, in Oklahoma. Now, should the campaign have been uh, worried, weary and ready to deal with things like that? Certainly. Um, and, and there was egg on their faces after that uh, after that big TikTok campaign to block book tickets uh, for that Tulsa rally. Uh, but that's that's the way the cookie crumbles. Now, on, on, on as far as a sailing China and a sailing bite dance and a sailing TikTok is concerned. If it cannot wait until after an election, it must happen this side of an election. Otherwise, you're going to have uh, election interference. You're going to have uh, uh, people scratching their heads and looking back and saying, "Oh well, how come this never happened?" The action looks like it's happening, as Mark Meadows says, in the coming weeks. Now, I want to also pivot while I have the microphone to the big TikTok, uh, to the big Twitter hack that happened yesterday. It was about five o'clock in the afternoon where Twitter users started to notice their accounts um, being being taken down and limited uh, alongside uh, major verified accounts posting what appeared to be Bitcoin scams. You had Joe Biden's account, you had Barack Obama's account, Kim Kardashian's account, uh, Kanye West's account, all these verified multi-million follower accounts being used uh, for this Bitcoin scam that I think has raised nearly $200,000 um, in, in scam Bitcoin donations and purchases so far. Uh, but Twitter really showing now as, as an institution just how fragile that ecosystem is. When you consider the implications of uh, news, of uh, tornado warnings and reports, of um, presidential declarations, of communications between major world leaders that take place on that platform, what we've seen in terms of the uh, explanation about this hack so far is that it looks like it was actually a Twitter employee portal that was used, whether it was purchased from some Twitter employee that thought he might be able to get away with this, or whether it was hacked, uh, the 
employee portal. We know they've been working from home more. We know people are accessing this employee portal remotely more. And the images that we're seeing that Twitter is still uh, not ready to own up to and, 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 and own as, as their employee portal. We'll, we'll see what they say. We certainly know they've been taking down images of this, of this portal that when they go up on Twitter. But what this portal appears to show, these images leaked to 4chan and, and later on last night into other social media networks, what they show is the level of access a Twitter employee has to all of these high-profile accounts their email addresses, their locations, their phone numbers, their tweets, and critically, as we've been making the assertion for some years now, whether or not Twitter can quote-unquote shadow ban users. Now, a shadow ban is effectively when, for instance, myself, uh, I'm unsearchable in Twitter search function. My tweets don't appear when people search certain keywords. My tweets don't appear in certain people's timelines. And Twitter has always kind of informally at least denied that this was taking place well if these images from the hack are accurate they actually show that there are such things as blacklists uh, that twitter employees can put individual users on there are search blacklists there are ways for them to take the account over there are ways for them to detach your email address from your account whether you're a one-factor or two-factor authentication user plays into all of this but critically what we saw yesterday steve i think is the first foray of some nefarious group that wants to test the waters of what has become one of the most important communications networks in the United States, in the Western world, if not the world in general, and see what havoc they can cause as a result. What we learned last night is that havoc can be absolutely huge. Steve, we've got 90 seconds in this segment. Information warfare is just as critical as kinetic warfare now. Information warfare and economic warfare is where this where this is going to be fought. This Twitter is very disturbing. I got a question for you in the minute we got left, Raheem. You talked about what they showed as the dashboard. The president is the driver of so much action on Twitter. What can they see on the president's dashboard? You know, he's got what 92 million followers. He's on Twitter nonstop, much to the uh, to the chagrin I know of some of his followers. Um, what can they, what, on the president's dashboard, what can Twitter, what does Jack Dorsey know about the president of the United States communication that the rest of us don't? Well, you can see the metadata behind it, which means that they can probably pull where the tweet is coming from, what kind of device the tweet is coming from. Of course, the White House has its own uh, communication software that it builds for all of its social media platforms, so there may be a layer of interference in there. And we know that Twitter has restricted which employees can actually access the president's account after a couple of years ago when a disgruntled employee actually took down the president's Twitter account for a while. But Barack Obama's was freely available. Joe Biden's was freely available. Major other celebrities figures were available we're not quite sure but i suspect that congress will be asking some serious questions and we'll be getting some answers in very short order we'll be back in just a second war room pandemic with stephen k bannon the epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide war room pandemic here's your host stephen k bannon Welcome back to the War Room. Greg Mans, Jack Maxey, and Raheem Kassam broadcasting live from Capitol Hill. Gentlemen, I am I am relieved that it was less 
humid this morning here on Capitol Hill. Stephen K. Bannon has abandoned us for the rest of the show, which means we've got the run of the show to ourselves. So I say we throw out the show, the lovely show clock that Vish, uh, Vish has made for us and, and debate amongst ourselves on all these points that are going on all around the, uh, all around the world at the moment. The, the signal from the noise is such an important thing, but sometimes it's, it's, it's important to keep a track of what's going on out there in the wider noise sense um, so that actually you can hone down on, on, on what are the critical things taking place. Now, there's all, this, there's all these stories out there at the moment about the Smithsonian Museum, and we'll get into that. I actually, gosh, now, how long ago did that museum open? Four, five years ago, maybe? I was actually one of the first people into the new African-American um, Smithsonian Museum in Washington, D.C., because I have a friend whose uh, uh, girlfriend at the time was actually one of the curators, and we got invited for the uh, day-before-pre-opening opening, opening uh, uh, tour in there. And I said at the time, I think it was on the old Breitbart News Daily Show, I said at the time that I thought it was a terrible museum just because of how patronizing a lot of it was. I mean, the Underground Railroad stuff and all that was great. But then upstairs you go and you look around and there were sort of uh, exhibits to Nike Air Max trainers and skin lightening cream and all this stuff. And I just thought this isn't this isn't, you know, this isn't culture. This isn't this is this is kowtowing to 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 and pandering. And I, I didn't think, you know, African-American people would even want that, um, that sort of thing rather than, the you know, they have a rich there is a rich history um, for this community in this country. And, and that seemed a little little uh, surface based to me. Um, and I don't know if I'll ever go back and be able to find that clip, but we'll get into what's going on at that very same Smithsonian uh, Museum in, in just a moment. But I do want to talk about this, this what is uh, much more part of the signal, which is these attacks uh, that are going on in New York. I mean, New York is not exactly, uh, for my New York friends out there, uh, whether it's Vinny, uh, one of the guys that used to call in to the, uh, to the old uh, Breitbart Daily Radio show. I have a lot of friends up there. Um, it's, they know it was not exactly a place I like to hang out. In fact, Jack, you and I spent some significant time there in, in 2018 um, up, in, up in Manhattan. And, and I was always reluctant to go up to New York. It was too noisy, too crowded, too busy, too hot, too smelly in midtown Manhattan with all food carts and everything like that. But at least what you could say about New York back then, it was, it was uh, safe to walk around. I mean, I would because I would have to go to the studio at 4.30 in the morning. And I would walk down the streets, 4.30 in the morning, you know, dead of night, nobody around, and I would just feel completely and totally safe. I would not feel safe doing that anymore. When you look at the stories that are coming out from New York at the moment, and what's happening, especially the police being targeted, I don't know, do we see this changing uh, very rapidly back in the other direction? Because it changed for the worse very rapidly. So can it go back very rapidly? And Jack, especially, you know, what what... What should we be paying attention to? Because some of these images that I'm seeing, I mean, I can't bear to watch some of these things. Well, one of the things that's so frightening to me, Rahim, is it seems that the mainstream media and many of the leftists in the intelligentsia, etc., have sort of justified this behavior. They've sort of made it okay to attack police officers. They've sort of made it okay to reject authority. And you have to wonder, are they doing any benefit for the people on the streets? No, they are trying to create chaos so that they can run the election in the fall. They don't really care about what's going on in the streets. Remember, they care about the pandemic, but they don't care about the pandemic when we're protesting and burning New York City and beating up police officers, right? It only matters if you want to go down to the, your, your local bar and have a drink with your friends that you haven't seen for three months because Dr. Fauci has used sheltering in place. Unless, of course, you have a grievance that requires millions of people to go into the streets. 
To me, Raheem, it's outrageous. And I will tell you, one of the things that's coming out of it is you just saw the National Association of Police Organizations endorsed Donald Trump yesterday. And they endorsed him because they recognize your steadfast and very public support for our men and women on the front lines, especially during this time of unfair, inaccurate opprobrium being directed at our members by so many. Now, let's remember this same organization supported both Obama and Biden in the prior two election cycles when they were running for president, vice president. So this is a real sea change, I think. You're actually seeing these people understanding now that perhaps in the past they might have had some economic interests in supporting the Democrats. But now when it comes down to personal safety, they recognize that it is a Republican president who has their six. And I feel that our audience definitely has the six of law enforcement, and I certainly do. But I think that we're going to see some more dynamic changes. I think we have a, a pretty good clip of what, what was said by one of the local organizers. Yeah, um, we, let's, let's roll that actually right now and, uh, and, and see what they have to say. Today, the gloves come off to this mayor, and I'll say it again. What's happening in New York City, the blood is on your hands. What happened to that one-year-old and you to go there and cry fake crocodile tears to say that you have that family's back and you're allowing these progressive uh, protesters out here to destroy our city, you're at fault. It's, uh, incredibly, uh, incredibly poignant stuff. Let's roll the next one also. I think that a total elimination is something we need to reevaluate. Right now, bad guys are saying that if you don't see a blue and white, you can do whatever you want. That's the message. I mean, that's the message that's been sent. Well, and this is the sad thing is, you know, you're, you're actually the first guy is actually, I believe, a short list for running for mayor of New York City. It's the second guy. Second guy is going to be running for New York City mayor. So hopefully we're going to see a sea change on the street. And let's look at it. These are two African-American gentlemen and they're living it. And they say enough. Right. I think all of the decent people of America, the deplorables of America, have to stand up and say enough. There are plenty of us out there and somehow we're being cowed and and kept quiet. And I think really the more we get out in the street, the more that we just behave as we normally do as decent human beings going about our work with our chests out, you know, ready for anything. These people will creep back into their mother's basements. That's what we need to do. We just got to get back to being America. We got to get our chins out, our chests out, and start walking tall. This creeping around mm. with masks on is just getting old. We got to get back to being Britain. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, guys, uh, do we have any more of these clips that we want to play for the audience here as well of what's gonna of what's gonna ha of what's been going down in New York? Because some of the footage has been absolutely. Do we have this Brooklyn Bridge uh, uh, attack clip here? At, at the, the the clip thirteen. Uh, for America's Voice, because I want to play this for people. I know it's been floating around social media now, but I want to just reiterate the point. Let's roll this clip from the Brooklyn Bridge. This is, oh, this is no audio. This is this. I'll, I'll describe it for you here. This is police officers being attacked on the Brooklyn Bridge uh, in broad daylight, in the middle of the day. Cars driving past, vicious, vile attack taking place. And he's the highest-ranked uniformed police officer in New York City. So this tells you a little bit about the New York Police Department, man. They got their admirals out there on the front line. And I have a lot of respect for this guy, but when you see these people reaching over the fence trying to hit him with, with a cane, they're now trying to search for this guy. But this is really outrageous. And, and to me, I've got to imagine that the people in that neighborhood looking at this going on, they are just as outraged as everyone else. 
just like we say that the Chinese people are the first victims of the Chinese Communist Party, the decent people living in these neighborhoods are the first victims of these mobs. And their best protection is a strong police force. So let's let's pivot right now while we have the time in this. Uh, Greg, you look like you had yeah. uh, something well, to... I just on Jack's point um, of them you got to speak up, man. Yeah. For them searching, I can't just for like make eye yeah. contact with you, like a like a long lost lover across the I table. Oh, we had some signals. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, ooh, that, that's a reveal. You gotta uh, at least play footsie with me, then I'll know. So um, Jack mentioned that the New York police are on the search for the people that um, specifically one person in a maroon shirt and khaki pants, and for that person, there's a twenty five hundred dollar reward for it. So if any of our New York listeners are out there, um, you can be on this lookout for that. Yeah, big uh, big shout. Actually, really important. Um, I want to pivot, guys, to this Smithsonian story because I actually, uh, as you guys know from our from our group uh, uh, chats that we have going on during the day, I was very frustrated that the National Pulse actually missed the scoop on this one because I had the story uh, and just didn't have the resources to uh, to man the story in time for the for the rest of the media to uh, uh, caught us up actually. Um, whether it was the Washington Examiner or, or beyond. And by the way, you know, if uh, if you want the National Pulse to have more resources, just go to thenationalpulse.com. Every click matters. Um, but this story, the National Museum of African American History and Culture, Smithsonian uh, organization, has got this whole thing on its website talking about race. Explicitly, they say whiteness. And you go to the site, and it's talking... It, and I'll read you the intro, in fact. Since white people in America hold most of the political, institutional, and economic power, they receive advantages that non-white groups do not. Now, this whole thing, this is not a tiny little nugget on the Smithsonian website, and even if it was, that would be unacceptable. This is a massive, long, educational resource that the Smithsonian institutions are pushing um, on, on people who are looking to get educated really i mean that's what the name smithsonian has been um you know has been has been with for so very long they talk about white privilege in the thing then they give you uh, a list of bullet points about what white privilege is a download white privilege unpacking the invisible knapsack by peggy mcintosh then there's a video presentation on uh, white privilege a 22 minute talk on this website then the thing that says stop and think why does understanding white privilege matter and then of course here's the critical part and here's the part that they never they never really want to address because they talk about white privilege and kind of a lot of us will shrug our shoulders and go okay you know nobody's saying that white people haven't had you know, typically uh, a, a, a greater claim to uh, industrial civilization. And, and, you know, I think we all will look back on some of the uh, more arcane parts of uh, colonial history and go, okay, yeah, that was bad. And we wish that hadn't been done. Um, whether it was Mau Mau rebellions and, 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 and all of this stuff, right? Nobody's not cognizant of this. But then they, they, what they do is they feed it into the, the next narrative. And the next narrative is, is it's not just white privilege and white supremacy that we're going to be talking about. It's actually about how you dominate white people. That's what they get onto next. And they have an entire section on white dominant culture, white supremacy, white nationalism. There's this big long screed uh, in, in the form of one of these, one of these uh, infographics about how family structure and scientific method 
and the Protestant work ethic and future orientation and aesthetics and holidays and competitiveness and communication are all white supremacist things. They say the king's English, white supremacist, winning, white supremacist, common law, white supremacist, aesthetics based on European culture, white supremacist, timing, white supremacist. This is on the Smithsonian website, Jack. Planning for the future, delayed gratification, tomorrow will be better. These are white supremacist concepts. Being on time. Coming to work on time is a white supremacist concept, according to the Smithsonian Institute. If I believe that every African-American who sees this should be deeply, deeply offended. These are characteristics of all good Americans. And to define it by race is just deeply, deeply offensive. It's, 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 it's outrageous. And of course, as always, ladies and gentlemen, follow the trail. Because here's the thing, what I found out, which hasn't been borne out in any other reporting right now, so maybe we will report into it on, uh, on the National Pulse, but this was actually broadcast out there by the U.S. State Department also. The U.S. Embassy of Georgia, the country, had this on their website and a link back to this page. So you have the apparatus of the U.S. government pushing out racist messages on behalf of the Smithsonian and the Atlantic Philanthropies Organization that's the money behind all this. We'll be right back in just a second. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Well, 2020 has been a gut punch to American business, and if you're going to succeed, you need every possible advantage. NetSuite by Oracle is a sponsor of this show, the world's number one cloud business system. Smart companies run on NetSuite because it gives you the visibility and control over your financials, your HR, your inventory, your e-commerce, everything you need in one place, whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in revenue. NetSuite lets you manage every penny with precision. You can control your entire company right from your phone and join over 20,000 plus businesses who trust NetSuite to make it happen. NetSuite actually surveyed uh, thousands of business leaders and assembled a playbook of the top strategies they're using as America reopens for business. So get your free guide, seven actions businesses need to take now and schedule your free product tour at netsuite.com slash Bannon. That's your free guide and free product tour at netsuite.com slash Bannon. You're back in the war room. Greg Manns, Jack Maxey, and Raheem Kassam. We're going to be bringing you the breaking news from the Attorney General Bill Barr in just a moment as he speaks at the Gerald R. Ford Presidential Museum in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Apparently a throwdown going down right there, right now. Greg Mann's going to have the details for you in just a second, but I want to open with uh, what the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said uh, yesterday. Let's roll clip eight, please. General Secretary Xi has made a set of decisions that have been unilaterally aggressive. And what we've seen is now four decades of diplomatic engagement and dialogue at all costs, diplomacy, failed to achieve the outcome that I think Dr. Kissinger hoped would be achieved when he uh, went to China in the 1970s. Uh, we've watched unilateral aggression. And you, you described several of the fronts, right? You talked about um, intellectual property. You talked about technology here. Uh, many on this call, I was a small businessman, as you described, many on this call had their intellectual property stolen, American middle-class workers 
losing their jobs because uh, good work done by American businesses to create real value uh, destroyed by Chinese thievery. Uh, see what they've done. They've lied about what they're doing in the South China Sea. They promised during the previous administration they wouldn't uh, militarize the South China Sea. They broke that promise, their promise. Uh, and so on Monday of this week, we announced a change in U.S. policy with respect to the legal recognition of the boundaries and control inside the South China Sea to, frankly, to support the Vietnamese, the Malaysians, the Indonesians, the Philippines, every country that has maritime claims uh, that are legal and lawful and recognized under international law ought to be supported by the United States. We aim to do that. I know this audience doesn't need to be told, but pay very, very close attention to all the moves that are being made right now. You know, I don't know what's on the CNN screens behind me, uh, uh, gentlemen, probably an advertisement or something right now. <laughs> but um, uh, the, the establishment media does not understand what's going on. They do not understand that when you have the Secretary of State out there saying things like that, you have the president making moves, you have in the technology space apps being banned or potentially being banned in the next couple of weeks. That news coming from the... Um, Chief of Staff in the White House, Mark Meadows, pay very close attention. Steve Bannon has been saying it since day one. We're in 1938. Make no mistake. And you also had the Attorney General, Bill Barr, who doesn't mince around, who doesn't go just to give fluffy speeches anywhere. If he goes, he goes with a purpose. He goes with a purpose, he picks the location with a purpose, and he speaks with a purpose. Greg Manns, what's that purpose this morning? That purpose is to highlight the Chinese Communist Party's threat to the United States and their um, actions towards us that are deeply concerning. One of the things he said is their goal isn't to trade with the United States. Their goal is to raid the United States. The other thing he says, Raheem, which is, I think, very powerful and certainly something that could be repeated in social media, he calls the Chinese Communist Party the arsenal of authoritarianism. And I think that's, uh, that really cuts to the chase because they are the uh, uh, arsenal of authoritarianism. In fact, they're selling their author authoritarian weapon systems, these, these off-the-shelf uh, uh, human tracking systems so that you as an individual country can buy yeah. their system to monitor your own population. They really are the author arsenal of authoritarianism. Can you say that, Greg? I'm going to decline to <laughs> <laughs> say three times fast. Awesome. Uh, and, then, and then one other thing. Um, he also said that the world's res global response to the Chinese Communist Party will be the most important issue of the 21st century. So he's going into this right now and saying that business leaders, and by the way, I know I get a lot of National Pulse plugs in here, but we have been so far ahead of this that I have to do it. Natalie Winters went through all the FARA, the foreign agent registration stuff, and has been talking about this for months now, breaking story after story about who's in the pocket of the Communist Party of China here in Washington, D.C. And Bill Barr this morning is saying American business leaders who advocate for Chinese Communist Party positions could be violating FARA. And there are all these organizations, institutions, think tanks, lobbyists, so many. I'm not talking about five or ten, ladies and gentlemen. I'm talking about thousands upon thousands across the Western world. Whether it's in London, who are working with CGTN, whether it's over here in Washington, D.C., right at the heart of your nation, right, right at the heart of your nation's politics. There are people who are on the pay of the Chinese Communist Party not registering as foreign agents. And that's something that Bill Barr's getting to this morning as well. Lashing out, 
I would say, very well deservedly at Xi Jinping this morning and talking about China placing pressure on U.S. business leaders. This is critical. We saw that letter from Xi Jinping very recently. He sent this letter to global CEOs and some people read it as a begging letter and some people read it as a twisting of the arm. One thing I want to point out, too, just we only have about a minute and a half left, but I want to read something that one of our viewers said to show the impact of what the government is doing. This announcement that they may ban all CCP party members and their family members from travel to the United States is having a huge impact in China. She writes to us, the at war room pandemic, the old 100 names loved Trump's new move to ban all CCP members and their families. So much that applause exploded on Weibo last night. So much praise for at real Donald Trump and at Secretary Pompeo. The thought police effort to delete them is lagging far behind. So the Chinese Communist Party is definitely afraid. They understand that the greatest power out there are the deplorables of planet Earth, including the old 100 names of China. And if we can unite in a, in a partnership of morality, we're going to do it. All right, remember, netsuite.com uh, slash Bannon is where you need to go to get your free NetSuite guide. Smart companies run on NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. We're grateful to have had you all with us today. Make sure you're sharing the podcast, sharing the live stream, liking, commenting, hashtag war and pandemic, signing up for the newsletter. You're going to want to get it in your inbox every day. Thanks to the producers, the guests, and everyone who makes this happen. We'll see you again tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., War and Pandemic.